Warlock Vorobok Raids. Presented by the Public Library of Cincinnati in Hamilton County. Hello, welcome to Warlock Vorobok Reads, a monthly Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library podcast. This adult story time will introduce you to some of my favorite fantastical stories that show sun shivers down your spine, surreptitiously raising the hair on the back of your neck, and other unearthly delights. Oh, this heat and humidity has got me itching to check out a southern gothic tale. Luckily, I have Cincinnati-based local author Joni Lacey and her novel Hollister House, Legend of the Banyan Tree, to hit that sweet spot. So put on your sun hat, relax on your veranda, and enjoy two short chapters from Hollister House, Legend of the Banyan Tree. Chapter 1, Back to the Garden, Southern Mississippi, 1999. We are stardust. We are golden, we are billion-year-old carbon, and we got to get ourselves back to the garden. The classic rock station cut through the high whistle of the wind, whipping Eve Hollister's hair against her cheeks as the Chevy pickup truck sped down I-55. God, she loved that Joni Mitchell lyric. It brought back so many memories. Some good, some not so good, of nights on stage playing her violin, covering top 40 hits. Eve yanked her silver-gray hair back out of her face for the hundredth time and cursed herself for not having an automobile with air conditioning. She had only been on the road 30 minutes, and she was already clammy and wishing she had worn her sundress instead of the jeans. Glancing in her rear-view mirror, she noticed the fine lines around her eyes seemed more pronounced than they had that morning, and the dark circles were a reminder of how little she was sleeping lately. With another glance in the mirror, the skyline of Jackson, Mississippi faded and finally disappeared. The pickup started to shimmy as she moved into the high-speed lane. She was attempting to keep up with the small U-Haul truck whose cargo was her whole life, which didn't amount to much. But that's all about to change, she thought. It's just got to. A shiver of anticipation ran through her as she turned onto State Route 98 towards Hattiesburg. She turned up the radio and relaxed letting the warm air blow over her. Juniper, Mississippi, 31 miles, the sign read, as she drove over the two-lane highway. Suddenly, the blandness of gas stations, fast food restaurants, and motels gave way to a quiet ribbon of road lined with giant oak trees draped in Spanish moss. The massive trees created a deep green archway as their thick branches touched overhead. Eve turned off the radio, focusing instead on the serene beauty that she was passing. 
She kept averting her eyes through the trees for glimpses of swampy fields, catching an occasional snow-white egret in its graceful flight. God, it's so beautiful, she thought to herself, and was letting her mind drift, when suddenly she slammed on the brakes, squealing her already bald tires. The U-Haul had stopped in front of her, and she had nearly plowed into it. Damn, Tom, what are you doing? She chided the muscular gray-haired man as he approached her driver's side door. You mean, what are you doing, Miss Hollister? I seen you taking your eyes off the road. But listen, I stopped here because we're here. The next turn gets us right into Juniper, so why don't you take the lead? I don't know where the house is. Okay, I'll swing round you. Looking again at the directions, Eve pulled the Chevy truck in front and led the way into the small city that was to become her home. Juniper, which was a picturesque antebellum town, and Eve found herself softly lulled by its tranquil, tree-lined streets. It was so much like she had imagined it. Oh my God, I'm really here. I'm really doing this. Suddenly, her mouth was uncomfortably dry as nervous anticipation made the heat rise to her face in a hot flash. She wiped the sweat from her forehead with the back of her hand and took a deep swallow from a bottle wrapped in brown paper bag on the front seat. Slow in her speed, she stared at the street signs until she came to Mandalay. Making a right turn, she drove a couple blocks and then pulled up in front of a large, overgrown lot enclosed in six-foot wrought iron railings. A massive, dreary house sat buried so deep in the shadows of twisted vines, tall weeds, and drooping tree limbs that it was barely visible. Eve parked and got out of the truck. She walked over to the gate, her heart racing as she approached the crusty wrought iron. Putting both hands on the railing, she pulled her face close and peered at the infamous boyhood home of her father. The decaying Victorian sat far back from the street, fronted by an expansive shaded yard, overgrown and tangled in winding wisteria and untamed shrubbery. Crumbling concrete cherubs and gargoyles strained to peek out of the bushes and tall grass. The house itself looked lifeless and strangled, as if it had choked from creeping vines and slowly suffocated from decades of no sun. Its sad exterior walls and windows cried from peel and paint, rotten wood and loose hanging shutters. What had once been a charming veranda now sagged after years of shifting ground and its floorboards were riddled with holes, letting thick vines snarl through, roping around the faded wooden balusters. The massive front door was broad and arched and constructed of a heavy dark brown oak that had remarkably withstood the ravages of time 
seeming almost incongruous with the shabbiness surrounding it. Cracked stone steps led off the veranda to a long, uneven walkway lined with tall, misshapen, evergreen bushes. At the end of the walkway crouched two weather-beaten lions on battered haunches. Wearily guarding the house atop concrete pedestals on either side of the rusted entrance gate. A great banyan tree in the front side yard completed the grisly motif, its monstrous limbs dipping and then rising again out of the ground, creating ominous serpent-like tendrils. So, Miss Hollister, you want me to start unloading the truck? Tom's gruff voice brought Eve back, and she forced herself to turn away from the gate. You know what, Tom? It's getting pretty late. Why don't we call it a night and get started first thing tomorrow? Dad told me there's a hotel right in the heart of town. Here, you go have a nice dinner in a room on me. And quit calling me Miss Hollister. It sounds like you're talking to my mother. Eve handed Tom a hundred dollar bill. Tom smiled. Well, I'm an employee, you know. But come on, Evie. You can't stay in this old place tonight by yourself. You come into town with me, and then we'll come back in the morning and unload your stuff, if you're still set on moving in. Tom's suggestion was more of a plea as he looked at the uninviting sight beyond the gate. Eve grinned at the childhood friend her father had hired to move her from Jackson. Look, Tommy, you know Evie here does just fine in strange and exotic situations. Tom looked past her at the Jim Beam label, sticking out of the brown bag sitting on the passenger seat. Eve saw the disappointed look on his face. Then her eyes met his, and she knew he understood. Okay, but not a word to your old man about this. I'm supposed to be looking out for you. It's a deal. Besides, we're not in Jackson now. If I get the jitters, I'll come right over to the hotel. I promise. Well, that's all fine and good. But what about some dinner? You gotta eat, Evie. Hey, I got that covered, too. I've got a bucket of chicken and a side of coleslaw on the truck. Honestly, Tom, go ahead. And I'll see you first thing in the morning. Just follow Mandalay back to Main Street and head to the right. The Drake Hotel sits right in the center of town. She didn't wait on a response, but just kissed Tom on the cheek and grabbed her canvas backpack out of her pickup. Tom shrugged his shoulders and got behind the wheel of his truck. He knew Eve well enough not to argue with her. Waving as the U-Haul pulled off, Eve threw her bag over her shoulder, pushed the creaking gate open, and headed cautiously down the walkway to the house she had heard about all her life. She dodged the heaviest limbs, using her right hand to keep the brush out of her eyes as she made her way to the front door. Her father had told her she didn't need a key. He had never locked up the house, and, sure enough, there was no evidence of anyone having recently crossed its threshold. 
Eve pushed with her shoulder as hard as she could, three times trying to budge the door. On the fourth try, the heavy door finally swung open, causing her to lose her balance as she nearly fell into the huge entrance hall. Her bag created a resounding echo as she dropped it and then stood, staring at the canvas space. Her eyes traveled eagerly everywhere, and looking up, she was immediately fascinated with the large chandelier hanging from the ceiling. It was veiled in layers of spongy cobwebs, giving it the appearance of a crystal cocoon. To the right of the chandelier, a long, winding staircase seemed to disappear from sight altogether as it curved and stretched into the darkness. The house smelled of mildew, and the dank air was heavy and oppressive. A faint whooshing sound, like a distant wind blowing through the rafters, lay on top of an eerie silence, and fluttering noises came now and then from the deepest shadows. Out of nowhere, manic flapping wings buzzed by Eve's ear as a small bat flew past her up the staircase and nearly got tangled in her hair. Repulsed, Eve frantically waved her hand around her head, rubbing her ear roughly. Suddenly, the stale air became colder, blowing an icy chill over her body. She had an overpowering sense that she was not alone. In the next instant, the tepid air returned and the presence was gone. A bead of sweat broke out on her forehead. Now what the hell was that? Eve looked around at the musty abandoned house while shivers ran up her spine partially from fright but mostly from a strange excitement. Allison is going to kill me for sure, she said out loud, as she took another look around the gruesome foyer before heading back outside for some fresh air. She stood on the veranda, being careful to avoid the jagged holes in the floorboards. Soon enough, the old familiar feelings of doubt and insecurity washed over her. God, what am I doing? I'm too old. I don't have the strength for this. Allison's never going to understand why I'm dragging her here to this godforsaken house. She sat down as an overwhelming exhaustion took her, and she had an irresistible urge to sleep. She felt drugged almost as she stretched out on the veranda, letting her head rest on a pile of ropey vines and leaves. Staring at the dusky sky, she tried to still her mind, until her lids became heavy and she closed her eyes. She quickly fell into a troubled sleep there on the rotten veranda that hadn't been touched by anyone for sixty-some years. An hour passed, and as Eve opened her eyes, the comfort and light of twilight had given way to night. Her body was stiff and achy from lying on the damp, rotten boards. She struggled to her feet and stretched, twisting a couple of times in an attempt to loosen her cramped back muscles. Rubbing her tired eyes, she gazed upward. Here in this small town, the sky seemed so close, 
larger somehow, and the stars clustered in brilliant formations of cut diamonds. She breathed deeply for the first time, noticing how the air was fresh and fragrant with honeysuckle and magnolias. Feeling her strength renewed, Eve decided to walk over to the banyan tree. She let the starlight guide her as she pushed through the dense evergreen towards the banyan, tripping over large roots as she made her way to the core of the tree. She stopped deep inside the thick limbs where, hidden from the night sky, the pale glow of fireflies dancing through the leaves provided the only glimmer of light. The trees seemed to absorb all sound, except for the occasional rustling of blackbirds and bats high overhead. Eve stood still as her eyes adjusted to the darkness, and she studied the heavy, continuous branches twisting above her head and under her feet. She had never seen a banyan tree, and it was far more impressive than she had imagined. In its heart, she felt strangely protected by it, loved almost. It was as if the ancient tree had been expecting her. Eve crouched down, resting her back against the largest trunk, given into the sweet feeling of total acceptance, while tingling warmth spread through her arms and legs. Everything is going to be all right, she kept thinking over and over to herself, as all the nagging doubts drifted away, replaced by an uncanny sense that she was home, really home for the first time. Eve closed her eyes and her mind stopped its usual chatter. She knew she was still awake, so why did she feel like she had entered some kind of dream world? She opened her eyes and looked down at her hands. The long, slender fingers that she trusted to entice intricate melodies from her violin now looked almost chubby, the fleshy edges blurred. Her reality had shifted somehow. Eve cocked her head to listen to the rustle of the branches overhead that were changing in tone and intensity. Her musician's trained ears picked up a slight melody. A woman's voice, it sounded like, deep and sensuous, humming the same refrain over and over. Eve knew that she should be frightened, but instead... She listened to the throaty voice and was lulled into a rare calm. She fell into a trance-like sleep as the tree seemed to fold in on her, its branches like woody blankets, comforting and warm. Eve dreamt of her grandmother, Anna Hollister. The high-pitched call of a blackbird overhead woke her. She jumped up, banging her head on a limb. Damn! She rubbed her forehead and watched as hundreds of blackbirds and bats scattered in confusion. She had never seen so many birds. Her immediate reaction was to duck and cover her head in defense as she waited in a silent panic for the loud riot of wings to settle down. 
at last the manic cacophony stilled to a soft rustling. What was I dreaming? As hard as she tried to focus, she couldn't get back to the dream. Brushing off the back of her jeans, she looked around her at the innocuous tangle of wood. She sensed that the banyan tree had opened up somehow, as though a spell had been broken. Aware of being unusually relaxed and calm, Eve felt like she had been hypnotized and then snapped back by the blackbird's call. She looked behind her at the snaky root where she had been sitting and wondered at how much time had passed. Shaking out her arms and legs, she ran her fingers through her hair and made her way carefully back to where her truck was parked. Eve climbed into the driver's seat of her old Chevy and munched on the cold chicken her parents had insisted she bring, just like she was a kid going off to school. It made her smile, thinking of the worried look on Ellen and John Hollister's faces as they helped their only daughter pack up her truck for her crazy move to Juniper. Well, God love them, at least somebody cares. Looking out through her bug-stained windshield, she took notice of Mandalay Street for the first time. It was wide and lined with large oak trees, and the houses were mostly colonial style, fronted by large shaded yards. It was a lovely street, and so quiet. Eve wasn't used to quiet, and for a moment she wondered what her neighbors would be like. Looks pretty conservative, she mused as she ate a spoonful of lukewarm coleslaw. She considered just stretching out on the front seat to sleep, but looking again at the house, she decided she would brave her first night inside. She was so exhausted, and any kind of bed would be better than the truck. She certainly knew the layout of the first floor from her father's descriptions, and she also knew it was still furnished from when he had lived there as a boy. She hesitated for a minute, picturing sharing a bed with any number of furry creatures. She reached for the bottle of bourbon from the brown sack and took a deep swallow. Oh, what the hell. She closed up the food containers, took the bottle and a flashlight, and locked the door to the Chevy pickup. Walking up the broken concrete pavement once more to the house, she glanced again at the banyan tree, awed by what she had experienced while sitting in its center. In one instant, she allowed herself to marvel at the undeniable power the tree had held over her, while in the next second, she dismissed what seemed to have been a magical phenomenon to merely being the result of an overactive imagination brought on by too little sleep and too much stress. Inside the house, Eve picked up her backpack and turned on the flashlight. The wide beam cut through the dust and thick cobwebs as she made her way out of the entranceway and down the hall. She walked too quickly past the kitchen toward the back of the house and stumbled, causing a colony of bats to scatter overhead. She threw her arms up to ward them off, just as something hairy brushed up against her ankle and scampered across her foot. 
Jumping, she dropped the flashlight. It crashed to the floor, the ball breaking into several pieces, throwing the house into total darkness. She could still hear the scurrying of small feet all around her, but she couldn't see through the pitch black and had to wait for her eyes to adjust to the dark. Then the scurrying stopped, replaced by a deathly silence. Her heart leapt in her chest as she fumbled in her pocket for a matchbook. She tried to light the matches over and over, but her hands were shaking too much, and she kept dropping them. She stopped then, in the darkness that surrounded her, and tried to calm her nerves as she listened to Hollister House. She swore she could hear inhalations and exhalations, like the house was breathing. Nothing else moved, and even the fluttering overhead stopped. Eve stood in the hall, listening. She was convinced now that she heard breathing, and just the faintest moan, low, and resonating from somewhere behind her. Son of a bitch! Cursing out loud, she tried to diminish what her ears were telling her, but what she knew couldn't be true. She brought the gym beam shakily to her lips, drinking deeply from it. She wanted a cigarette and tried the matches again without any luck. A blind panic overtook her, forcing her feet to move in the dark. Eve groped and felt her way down the endless hallway. Finally, she knew she was standing in the doorway of the room that would be hers, her grandmother's room. Moonlight leaked through grimy French doors, and she could just barely make out the overgrown courtyard through the filthy glass. She took another drink of the Kentucky bourbon and felt her body relax. But in the next instant, Eve's head started spinning and it took all her strength to make it to the bed. She lay back on the musty mattress and her skin grew clammy against the dampness of the old worn sheets and quilt where her grandmother had slept. Eve was overcome then with a grievous sorrow and a profound sense of loneliness. Grandma, Anna, it's you, isn't it? I'm feeling you. She mumbled the words as she blessedly passed out. Now I'm going to skip ahead to chapter six here to introduce you to some of the other characters in this novel. Chapter six, Joey and Mary. The June morning was already hot with shimmering heat waves snaking out of the burning pavement as Mary Patterson stared sleepily out her living room window at the unexpected activity across the street. In all her years of living on Mandalay, no one had ever occupied the old Victorian. It had always been an eyesore, but she had grown used to it. Her son Joey and his friends loved the banyan tree, but now she assured them that they would have to give up their frequent visits to it, at least until they got to know the new neighbors. I wonder if there'll be any kids. She spoke quietly under her breath as a strange melancholy swept over her, 
and her mind began to drift back to the first moment she had laid eyes on the infamous Hollister house. Mary's thoughts were quickly interrupted by the odor of burning bacon. She got to the kitchen in time to save a few crumbled pieces from the blackened skillet and then added more grease to fry the eggs while the persistent memories came flooding back. As a young bride, being carried across the threshold all those many years ago, she thought her house was the most perfect place in all the world. And then she saw the blighted Victorian for the first time from an upstairs window. It had frightened her, and she had doubts about living across the street from such a decrepit place. Her husband James had assured her that she would grow used to the old mansion and soon come to love looking at the banyan tree every day. He had been right about that. He had been right about so many things. Mary's eyes began to sting with fresh tears as she thought about James's smile. She still missed him so much. The radio announcer's upbeat voice broke through her reverie, announcing the time and forecasting above-normal temperatures with 90% humidity. Lord, what has come over me this morning? She quickly chastised herself for her maudlin mood. Wiping her eyes before going to the bottom of the stairs, she yelled, Joey, are you up? Breakfast is almost ready. Upstairs, Joey Patterson had awakened to the sound of men's voices across the street before hearing his mother. He opened his eyes, blinking rapidly, while his pupils adjusted to the yellow sunlight pouring in through his bedroom window. Then the spasm hit him. He clutched tightly at his stomach in a feeble effort to squeeze out the pain. It was bad this morning. It was like there was something inside him gnawing, trying to chew its way out. He rose slowly as the first waves of nausea hit. Racing to the bathroom, he made it just in time to fill the toilet with a cupful of bile. He retched a few more times until the stomach spasms stopped, then splashed cold water on his face. For a brief moment, he felt relief before the pain again took the place of the nausea. He stood and stared at his drawn 13-year-old face in the mirror and thought the dark circles under his eyes were deeper. His mother would be worried. He decided to stay in his room a while longer and maybe he'd look better before he had to go downstairs. Then he heard the voices again. Joey went to his window and watched, dumbfounded, as two hulking men unloaded ladders from a large box truck into the old house across the street. Shortstop, come here, buddy. What do you think about this? The cat eagerly jumped up on the windowsill, purring contently as Joey stroked his silky black fur. Something's actually going on at the monster house. Joey barely spoke above a whisper as his cat nuzzled the palm of his hand and he stared in disbelief out the window. The old place had been empty as long as Joey could remember. He had always wondered about it, so dark and daunting, sitting there year after year, neglected. 
He had envisioned all manner of gruesome creatures living a ghostly existence behind its foreboding walls. Even now, looking at the castle-like spiraling turrets piercing the morning sky, the place gave him inexplicable chills. Its gloomy facade had frightened him to the point he came to think of it as a monster's house. Each night, before Joey turned out his light, he would stare from his bedroom window at the sinister silhouette of the house against the moving sky. Then he would run to his bed and pull the covers up to his chin, breathlessly chanting, Monsters here or monsters there, not to worry, not to care. Monsters here or monsters there, I'm safe from monsters everywhere. Then he could sleep. But that was before the pain. Now he sometimes chanted his prayer, but it didn't really matter. The pain was worse than the monsters in the old house. The pain was all he could think about. At the age of 11, a chronic stomachache had led to the discovery of malignant tumors in Joey's abdomen. Even after undergoing painful surgery and weeks of follow-up chemotherapy treatments, he wasn't cured. The tumors kept coming back. Some days he felt fairly good, but on the bad days he was forced to rely on strong pain pills. Come on, Joey, son. Your breakfast is getting cold. I'll be late for work. His mother's voice sounded tired as she called up to him. Joey pinched at his cheeks to give himself some color. He had done all he could to look less pale, but as he dressed, it seemed his clothes were two sizes larger, and he knew that he was losing weight much too quickly. Joey made his way downstairs, then down the hall to the kitchen to find his mother standing over the stove. He sat at the place at the table as she turned around to dish out the eggs. I'm sorry about the bacon, sweetheart. Mary managed to smile before looking up at Joey. Dear God, Joey, are you all right, son? Did you have a bad night? Should I call Dr. Allen? Mary's smile had changed to the frightening expression that always made the worry lines on her face stand out. No, Mom, I'm fine. Really. I just didn't sleep very well. I promise I'm fine. Hey, those eggs sure look great. Mary breathed a sigh of relief as she looked deeply into her son's eyes and then served him his breakfast. Joey, did you see how someone is working on the old Hollister place? I can't believe it after all these years. I hope they'll be a good sort. She glanced down at her watch. Lord, I have to run. I'm so late this morning. Why don't you go back to bed and rest for a spell? You can always call me at work if you need me. Or there are the Raleigh's next door. You hear me, son? Mary was gulping down the last of her eggs, and Joey just smiled acknowledgement to everything she said as she jumped up to clear the table. Don't worry about the dishes, Mom. You know I'll take care of it. Mary stopped and took his face in her hands and stared into his eyes. I love you so much. No mother has ever been so blessed. She kissed him on the cheek and then grabbed her purse, shouting orders as she headed for the front door. 
He knew, of course, to get the mail and feed shortstop, and that was about all he had to do. Mary drove away, and Joey dumped his uneaten breakfast into the garbage disposal before heading out to his front yard to watch the workers across the street. He couldn't imagine a more exciting thing happening in the neighborhood. The old Hollister place. He had never heard that name before. To him and his friends, it had always just been the Monster House. Shortstop purred loudly as he boated past Joey onto the front stoop and out into the grass. As Joey joined him and plopped down on the lawn, he could see that every other kid in the neighborhood had the same idea. His friends were all out in their yards, staring across the street. They waved to each other and pretty soon all clambered together by Joey for a closer view. Roxanne and Sarah Raleigh, the girls from next door, were the first to come over, followed by their brother Sam. Then the Calhoun twins, Tess and Thea, from three houses down, and finally the Vanelli brothers. Tony and Sal Vanelli were the biggest boys on the street. Their dad was Italian, but their mother was all Mississippi, born and bred. They ate pasta for dinner and homemade grits for breakfast. Tony liked to think of himself as the neighborhood tough guy, but he didn't really fool anybody. So Joey, what's up with the monster house already? Do you know these people or what? He took a wide stance and crossed his arms. Joey stood up and brushed the grass off of his jeans. No, Tony, I've just been sitting here gawking at him the same as you. Hmm, Tony grunted. Two men came out to the truck, loaded their dollies into the back, and got in the front seat ready to drive off. Just then, a tall, white-haired woman came running down the long walkway from the house, waving something in the air. She talked to the workers through the passenger side window, and then they pulled away. She remained for a moment, shading her eyes from the sun, watching them drive off. Just as she was about to go back to the old house, she caught sight of the teenagers across the street, silent, not moving, just staring. Everybody's eyes locked for what seemed to be an eternity when the woman suddenly directed her gaze towards Joey and winked at him. She appeared to be smiling to herself as she walked over to examine the cracked head of one of the lions flanking the walkway. They watched as the woman ran her hand reverently over the weather-beaten sculpture, methodically feeling its features. Then she stepped over to the wrought iron gate and swung it gently back and forth, watching it as it rattled on its rusty hinges. That's one freaky lady, Tony spoke barely above a whisper. Then he clapped his hands together and turned to Joey, grinning slyly. But I think she likes you, little dude. Anyway, we got a split, but we'll catch you later. Tony dismissed himself and Sal with a high five to Joey, and the Raleigh's and the Calhoun twins followed as they all wandered back to their houses, leaving Joey alone with his curiosity. In that instant, the woman looked back at the thin boy across the street, and for a moment just stood watching him watching her. Then she smiled a wider smile, shrugged her shoulders, and turned back toward the house. 
The bangles on her arms jingled musically as she walked, and a long silver-white braid, wrapped with colorful elastic bands, swayed rhythmically down the back of her purple summer dress. She doesn't look so scary, thought Joey, before he turned to go back into the house to rest for a while. Thank you, Cincinnati, Hamilton County, and beyond. And I especially want to give a thank you to Joni Lacey for letting me read from her self-published novel. Thank you again. This has been, you know, a Cincinnati, Hamilton County Public Library podcast, Warlock Vorabach Reads, which specializes in adult story times, usually with a supernatural twist. So please subscribe to the podcast to hear a new story every month. Share it with your friends and family and co-workers. Be sure to check out the library's website for other virtual programming. This is Warlock Vorabox signing off. Sleep tight. Until next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our Warlock Vorobach Reads podcast for monthly chills. This has been a production of the Public Library of Cincinnati in Hamilton County. <laughs> <laughs>